Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Rogan Graham. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week, Our Bats becomes Our Bats in Matt Reeves' comic book caper, The Batman. Clyde Barnard directs the tender romantic drama, Ali and Ava. And in Film Club, we're going back to the 90s for Tim Burton's second and arguably best bat flick, Batman Returns. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. A pleasure to be here with you, and a pleasure to be here with you as well. Rogan, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing very well, actually, yeah. Chipping away at the old hopes and dreams, doing all right. <laughs> how is 2022 treating you so far, film-wise? Film-wise, do you know what, probably better than 2021. I was pretty underwhelmed last year, um, but uh, I'm feeling hopeful, and I think we've got some good ones this week, to be fair. So that's always good. Better than Space Jam 2. Yes, better than Space Jam 2. Um, and Hannah, how are things at, with you and how are things at Little White Lies Towers? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, le- less said about me, the better. But um, Little White Lies uh, Towers, we've just put the new issue to bed. Um, that will be out next week. I can't really say much more than that at the moment, but it's a very exciting one. Uh, the film is pretty great and it's one that I think a lot of people are very excited to see. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for everyone to see it. The illustrations this issue, I must say, are particularly uh, amazing. Really uh, smashed the art direction this issue. Did uh, Loren and Emma, who designed the magazine. So, yeah, very excited to uh, get that out into the world. To keep an eye on their uh, Twitter feeds next week for the launch. Oh, can't wait to hear more. And you're, you're beaming in even more remotely than usual right this week yeah i'm at my parents house uh, in um in sheffield um so if, it, if i sound different it's the the ambience of uh, the yorkshire wilds <laughs> oh i was wondering if you're gonna say if you sound different just do you have more of an accent when you go back home uh yeah i tend to get more northern um i, I don't know how much more northern i'd get in a week but um no i definitely <laughs> noticed over christmas and when i was here I was here for about four months during the pandemic, and by the end of it, I was addressing people in shops as love, which is not something I would ever do in London. So yeah, yeah, I do. I very, very much do get return to my roots when I go go native, as I believe that the uh, apocalypse now phrase is. Um, yeah, when I come up here. 
Well, we'll be talking more about the landscape of Yorkshire later on in the in this episode when we talk about Ali and Ava. But first, we have to talk about the big film of the week, the big film of the month, The Batman. Two years of stalking the streets as the Batman has led Bruce Wayne deep into the shadows of Gotham City. With only a few trusted allies, Alfred Pennyworth, Lieutenant James Gordon, amongst the city's corrupt network of officials and high-profile figures, the lone vigilante encounters a purring new companion, battles a cold-hearted gangster, and investigates a killer, serving up cryptic clues. You know, the majority of that synopsis could apply to any Batman film. Uh, some of us, you may say, I mean, I, I love Batman movies. I'm going to be front, you know, front of the queue when this comes out in my local cinema. Um, but some people, you know, say, do we need other Batman? One aspect that has got people excited about this one, Rogan, is Robert Pattinson. He's he's rarely put a foot wrong in terms of his collaborators over the last few years. You know, Claire Denis working on The Lost City of Zed, good time with the Safdie brothers. How is he as Bruce Wayne Batman? I thought he was great. Um, Very different, very emo, sad boy. Um, I think Robert Pattinson is probably the best actor uh, of his age to be playing someone who is like um, dealing with arrested development and acting out on childhood trauma in a really severe way um and he really fills that mold of just uh angsty teenager with gadgets even though gadgets actually aren't a big part of this one he leans into being a bit of a gumshoe in this one and um he's very fun it's a very fun film for the first two hours there's been such a legacy of bruce wayne batman performances and you know we might we'll talk about michael keaton later on of course, we also have you know, George Clooney, Val Kilmer. Um, ben Affleck didn't get to do his solo Batman movie. But then there's always this thing like sometimes they're better as Bruce Wayne, sometimes they're better as Batman. Are they bringing a bit more of a slickness or an eccentricity? So you're, you're saying he's this moody, goth, emo, sad boy type performance. Yes. Um, and it, it's great. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I I think with the... Because I'd say it's more it's the Batman, but... Uh, I'd say it's a bit more of an ensemble cast than the most, the more recent Batman films have been. I mean, talking specifically about the Nolan films, um, and I think that works. It brings a little bit of the weirdness back. Uh, you know, not to the extremes of Batman Returns, but it builds out Gotham in a really interesting way that I think was definitely missing from the really slick Christian Bale billionaire world. Yeah. Who who are the standouts for you in that ensemble then? Because the, the other problem as well is that sometimes, who the Batman is overshadowed by the villains all the way back to Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger as well in The Dark Knight. How how how's the ensemble this time round? Hmm. I'm trying to think. Overshadowed? I'm not sure. It it's it's a weird one because, well, I would say Colin Farrell as Penguin. But that might just be a me thing. But he is very—he is—he is brilliant um, and very funny. And Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon as well. I'm going to be thinking about some of his line readings forever. Um, <laughs> hilarious, a really brilliant performance. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it just—it—it it sets up the world. I think in a better way than it sets up the Batman. Like I would. This is not an origin story. Um, you know, you're building. You're building out the city and the characters um, to 
I think to varying degrees of success, but it's still a great time mm. and you don't get the kind of fatigue, I suppose, again, in the first two hours um, that you that you might get if you're just focused on, you know, who am I? Why is this happening to me? I must do this, you know, sort of thing you get with superheroes and you just mm. go straight into the action. We'll come to the length in a second, but Hannah, like, can you unpack this vibe the film's going for for us? Matt Reeves is... He's he threatens to be a great filmmaker. I mean, he's 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 made some very solid films from Cloverfield, Let Me In, the Plans of the Apes films. You know, very respectable films all the way through. He's always shown promise, but maybe not not far through in it. What is the vibe he's going for here, and is he successful? I just like to say that I actually thought Let Me In was one of the most diabolical films I saw that year. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely terrible. Um, but yeah, you know, generally a very solid filmmaker. Um, He's definitely going, I think, with Batman, there's such a legacy. You really have to go your own way with it, to quote uh, Fleetwood Mac. And um, he does go for this very distinct vibe from what we've seen with the previous films. I think he's much more inspired by the comic books than um, necessarily, I think, Nolan was. And he talk- he's talked a lot in interviews about um, year one, and about Frank Miller, and he, you know, he's a, he's a proper geek. He knows what he's talking about. Um, so you really see that in the film, and it but it's bookended with these um, journal entries from Batman, where he's narrating his um, kind of past two years because he, he's a quite young Batman as well. He's only twenty eight, and he's only been the Batman for two years. So compared to Bruce Wayne in um, the Nolan films, obviously in Justice League and in the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher films, he is like a baby Batman, little baby bat. And um, I, yeah, I really appreciate that we've gone for a younger Wayne, one who's less experienced, one who does kind of make pretty big mistakes. And um, there's some wonderful moments where he just like completely eats shit. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast, but like he just tries something and it fails miserably. And that I found very satisfying to see because I think the thing about Batman that a lot of these films miss is that he is human and he is fallible and he does make mistakes. But um, crucially, that kind of dichotomy between Bruce Wayne and Batman I think has always been kind of underutilized in the films and particularly the Nolan films where Bruce Wayne is basically, Ooh, he's so slick and handsome. And, you know, he's kind of presented as this like, um, basically interchangeable from like Iron Man, you know, it's like, he's a slick operator around town and, uh, everyone loves him. Whereas in him, the Batman, (laughs) Bruce Wayne is like this weird recluse who is kind of treated with contempt whenever he leaves the house. Everyone's just like, oh, I'm not this guy again, which I really, I really appreciated because I think fundamentally Bruce Wayne is a weirdo. The Batman is cool and you need, you need that kind of tension that no one, I think, <laughs> I'm going to quote the joke, uh, quote Bane here from The Dark Knight Rises, but no one cared who he was until he put on the mask. Mm. So, like, I think that is what I appreciate the most. I think that Reeves has really tried to create a distinct relationship between the two. And also, it has to be said, like, Rob Pattinson's jaw, the best jaw we've seen in uh, in any Batman film, like, 
when he puts that mask on, oh boy, like it's you know it really is because uh, you I think you're you're thinking throughout like you know Zoe Kravitz is playing Catwoman and you know she kind of oozes this like femininity and like sexuality and you're like what you know she would have absolutely no interest in Bruce Wayne mm. <laughs> but when he puts the mask on he's got that draw you're like yeah I get it now I get it <laughs> <laughs> I quite like as well that um, Robert Pattinson is now allowed to embrace some of that weirdness himself on on the publicity trail as well he doesn't come across like <laughs> He's always like a heartthrob anymore. <laughs> Talking about Final Fantasy VII in interviews or whatever he's doing. <laughs> Talking yeah. about being rinsed in the WhatsApp groups for what he was wearing to the premiere, things like that. It's quite fun. As he should have been. Uh, yeah, no, I mean he's always been weird, and I think that he understands because he's a nerd. I think he kind of understands that um, idea of Bruce Wayne being this very handsome man who is like just a little freak inside and um yeah he I I think he definitely plays it as this kind of um not someone you'd want to be sat next to a dinner party which I think is the best way to play a a, um eccentric orphan billionaire I you know I think he uh really does kind of give his all to the role and I, yeah, I mean, while I think it could have been a sexier film, um, I'm very confused by some of the roles, some of the reviews that have been like, yeah, it's, it's really sexy. I'm like, is it though? I didn't think it was sexy. Um, uh, there is this kind of um, strange, like, softness to him. You, you just kind of want to give him a hug and tell him it's going to be okay, which isn't something I've ever felt about um, yeah, that man before. That's, that is something. <laughs> Rogan, you gave us a tease of this, saying that maybe the third hour of this film is where you you lose a little bit of interest. But tell us about this length and how it worked out for you. Yeah, they kind of they try and I think fit two films in one a bit, (laughs) or at least two major plots in one, and you kind of you'll probably pick up on a couple of strange holes, especially with Catwoman. Um, And as great as Paul Dano is um, as the Riddler. Um, it is, it's like, you know, he's introduced in the beginning and then you kind of leave him for a bit and then he comes up at the end for a sort of big finish and you're like, oh, well, I, I'd kind of got my kick out of the Penguin and Falcone bit and, and now we're, we're still here we're still, <laughs> and, it's, and it's still going. Um, you know, uh, and I, I don't know, I just, I just think it was a bit overstuffed. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was bad necessarily. I mean, I'm probably going to rewatch it. I, I have a friend who never ever goes to the cinema, um, and she was like, "Oh, I actually want to see this." And I was like, "Oh my god, finally! Okay, yeah." <laughs> so I'll, I'll be going to see it again. You know, it's not it's not enough to put you off, but it, it is quite. Um, it can it does get a bit exhausting mm-hmm. towards is, the end. I think, yeah. Is that the same for you, Hannah? I know that Matt Reeves is already talking about how he has more ideas for future films, but I've heard this is quite standalone in some ways more so than maybe previous Batman films but what did the whole package work for you in the three hours yeah I mean I think you can definitely uh see it as a standalone but I would happily watch another Matt Reeves Batman I think he um has a kind of good grasp on the material but yeah I do think the problem is and I guess this probably comes from how it all worked out with Snyder is that you know there's this impetus to kind of like try and throw everything at the screen and see what sticks and um not all, i think as rogan has said it's uh 
a bit overstuffed. You know, we've got like three villains and Catwoman, who's kind of a villain, but not really. And there are there's a moment that you think the film is going to end, and then it goes on for another hour, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, a lot of kind of um, things I would have cut personally if it was if it was me. And it's funny, of course, because you know Zack Snyder's whole thing was that they oh they cut my version to shreds and. Uh, in his defense, yeah, the the director's cut of Justice League was marginally better than what was put out in the cinemas. But um, yeah, I did think like this this film for me a three hour film really has to justify its runtime, and like, I I don't think it quite justified its runtime to me. Um, but I would, yeah, I'd happily go and see it again. I think it's um, it's nice to see if a superhero movie especially after so many marvel movies that really does feel like um a film by a kind of one person not a film designed by committee um which i think is the problem with some of these films where it's just kind of trying to hit so many you know certain beats and i think even something like wonder woman 2 i think very much had no kind of identity but uh yeah i mean it's just for me, I don't think superhero movies should ever be this long. And especially having watched Batman Returns this week for Film Club, it is just like, come on, give, give us a break. Like it was, a, it was a real struggle to sit in that cinema seat and not like, you know, go to the loo halfway through. Um, which is a credit to the film because it means I was engrossed all the way through. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just just think of think of our bladders, Matt, would be my, my one request. <laughs> well, that was the beauty of rewatching The Godfather last week, is that it has an intermission. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I do think we should bring back the intermission. You know, make it like a you know, the theatre where you do you do your hour and a half and then you're gonna have a wee and buy some snacks and then you come back. <laughs> Beautiful. We should we should pitch that to some cinemas. But let's put some scores on the Batman. Rogan, I'll come to you first. This is in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect out of five. Oh, so in anticipation probably a five because I'm not a superhero girl, but I do love all the Batman films. Um and I love Robert Pattinson, so I was very excited for this one. I'd say enjoyment yeah, I'd give it like a four. And then I think in retrospect I did go on about the length, but I'd still give it a four because the first two hours are really good. <laughs> Again, the first two. Um, and, I do, and I do recommend it. I, w- I would say that, yeah, yeah, it's a great film for, for anyone, for like, I suppose, serious film people, as well as just like my friend who will just go for the odd mm-hmm. o- on, on occasion. So yeah, uh, four for me. Hannah? Um, I'm going to go for four in anticipation. Uh, because you know, there's always an element of, oh, here we go again with 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 the Batman. Um, enjoyment, I think, a four. Um, much like Rogan, yeah, the first two hours really had me, but then it did kind of lose me in the third act a little bit. Um, and then, in retrospect, I'm gonna go with three, but that might go up to four. I think I am gonna go and see it again. I think there's also probably a lot of details in it that. I missed because you you always do with these films the first time around and because it is such a detective story and it's really like amping up that um element of Batman which I think is something that has kind of got lost amid all the gadgetry and cars and whatnot um I'm sure there's kind of lots of little easter eggs in there um 
but yeah, I, I very much think it's uh, an interesting addition to the canon. And I do hope we get more from Matt Reeves and our bats. Oh, well, I can't give full scores for this. I give an in, in anticipation definitely for I, even though the Batman franchise as a whole probably has given me some of my most favorite and least favorite films in the broad genre of comic book movies. I love that the Batman series has become almost like a Shakespearean tradition in its own right, in the sense of how is this interpretation of James Gordon going to be? And I love that the <laughs> cast in this one is a bunch of actors mostly coming off a really great streak in more independent or art house places like your Colin Farrell's and your Jeffrey Wrights and <laughs> Pattinson, even Paul Dano. Um, so at least I, I'm going to be in in the front row, as I said, <laughs> in my local little cinema when it comes out this weekend. <laughs> Listeners, if you're going along as well, let us know what you make of The Batman at the usual channels at LWLies on Twitter or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Up next, we're heading up to Bradford for Ali and Ava. Here's a bit of a plot synopsis for Ali and Ava. Both lonely for different reasons, Ali and Ava meet through their shared affection for Sophia, the child of Ali's Slovakian tenants whom Ava teaches. Ali finds comfort in Ava's warmth and kindness, and Ava finds Ali's complexity and humour irresistible. Over a month, sparks fly and a deep connection begins to grow. However, the legacy of Ava's past relationship and Ali's emotional turmoil at the breakdown of his marriage begins to overshadow their newfound passion. Before we get too deep into this, we do have an interview so now you've had your synopsis, we're going to go to a recorded interview we had with our good friend David Jenkins speaking with Adil Akhtar, who plays Ali in the film. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So congratulations on the film and congratulations on all this um, awards love that you've been getting for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. how, you, how are you feeling about all that? And is it, is it, is it a kind of, is, is sort of like when you're sort of involved in awards race for a, for a movie like Ali and Ava, what, are, are you suddenly kind of find yourself very busy and like having to sort of like do the rounds, so to speak? 
is there a sort of circuit you have to be on yeah i think it must i think there must be some sort of circuit i don't think we're on it i think we're just sort of um it's kind of like the normal level of publicity we would do and i think that's kind of probably where the film is is placed in the sort of filmic landscape or something you know it's um it's sort of quite comfortable where it is and isn't sort of pushing too hard one way or another i mean it's a small budget film and it's made a big splash and that's because i think that's because of how good clio is and the focus the type of focus that she wants to the sort of stories that she focuses on and um so yeah the, not as such it's not like a really sort of big sort of circuit as such i don't think yeah. can, can i ask when was what was your knowledge of clio's work prior to sort of joining on this project did you were you did you have an awareness of the, of the type of films that she'd made and the sort of type type of work she'd done sort of prior to becoming a filmmaker not not prior to becoming a filmmaker i, I knew the arbor was the first thing that i saw of hers and I'd sort of been sort of exposed to verbatim theatre type stuff where you're sort of people are speaking the words of actual people, but the people you're seeing on stage are, are actors. Um, and I remember, like, as a concept, I thought, oh, that's quite interesting, you know, and I can see why it'd be used as a theatrical device. But I didn't really get it until I saw the Arbor, I don't think. I didn't really, un I didn't re sort of emotionally connect with it in the same way as I did with the Arbor. And then suddenly I was struck with, and even now, like working with Clio, I was struck with the idea of um, where, a performance begins and ends, you know? It's sort of, you know, traditionally you could just sort of say, well, it's within the frame of the, the thing that you're looking at, you know? And somebody says action, you do a spot of acting, then they say cut and then that's it. And I was struck with Clio that, no, the work actually begins, you know, way, bef way before, you know, the sort of, she calls it bio non bio fiction you know this idea that you, you've got these characters that are steeped in the reality anchored in a reality but she sort of um organizes these events these these real events and sometimes made events in this sort of narrative arc that becomes more than just a film for me anyway and when i was watching the arbor that became more than just a you know piece of film that i was watching it became sort of more real than life or something it was there was something about it that was more truthful um than a traditional film um and she sort of kept that quality throughout her stuff you know selfish giant is the same thing like these things of that anchor you in this kind of in the reality of the world like these events did happen at some point to someone. Um, and then she elevates it to this point of like beauty and sort of poetry, which, um, yeah, so that's, yeah, I just love all her work for that, I, you know. 
yeah i mean I, this this idea of of the sort of spontaneity and the kind of capturing the sort of poetic realism of of the of this landscape that she films in is i i'd love to know like are you um how much how much of your role was kind of improvised how much did she want you to kind of like just you know make make things up and sort of immerse yourself in on the sets and in the in the actual real landscapes or, or was it very sort of strictly here's the script and this is what you need to do and like what where, where was the line there yeah and so we met all the way back in toronto maybe a year before and um she, we talked I, i'm going to answer the question but i think i have to do it in a roundabout way which is like okay. but, um and it was just two people who were drinking lots of wine and talking about their love of film and books and whatever poetry music and stuff and it was just two people who got who really got on with each other and a few months go by and she says that she wants to develop a, a film on these two characters that live in Bradford and Moe was the guy that Ali was based on and then cut to we're having a drink in Elephant and Castle and she's got transcripts and I'm listening to Moe's voice and um, I said at that point well why don't we just hot seat Moe like I've sort of got a feeling of who the character is why don't we just hot seat him and you can ask Mo you can ask me stroke Moe questions and We'll see where that goes. And the only reason why I'm talking about it was because um, that was the sort of um, way in which we ended up working. It was like this, there would be a confidence in me to maybe overstep a little bit in the sense like I'm in front of Clio and she's just telling me about night. But I think that's the way that she sort of directs. She's very kind, soft-spoken, caring. And she gives you the space, not just me, but anybody who steps foot on the set, this sort of ability to sort of want to be bold with what they're offering because she's so generous with her process, you know? Um, so there was, so if, if at any point there was me sort of veering off the script or um, doing a bit of improvisation or, or whatever it was or lifting stuff off the page or just really relying on the script it's only because she gave the space for that to happen so yeah there were movements away from scripts and stuff like that but it was all within the umbrella of what she represents you know which is just sort of freely expressing all the stuff that you need to express as the character that makes sense yeah know. no absolutely i mean it's like you know you, you you definitely get the impression you know even as far back from the arbor her whole project is about kind of a sense of deconstructing the, the performance as well and like you know you get these you get these sort of extra layers on all all her films and yeah but the, the, that sort of level of deconstruction that she does she's sort of being bold with her own cinematic style like she's she's challenging herself more than anyone <laughs> and because of that it sort of makes you one makes you feel like you can be as bold in a way you can sort of meet the idea like even this idea of performance it's sort of based on Moe it's sort of based on me I mean there's bits in the script where Clyde came around to my house 
I cooked her some food and there's a rocking chair in the room and that made it into the script, you know, or she was, and so she's sort of, she's sort of taking from everything and, and then suddenly, you know, I'm on set and I'm doing a bit of dialogue, maybe I'm going off script, but there's the rocking chair right there, you know, and it, it carries a weight for an actor to know that she's listening so intently to everything that you're saying, you know, that on this rocking chair, it just so happened, it was a very special piece of furniture for me and my wife, and she put it in the script. And other little things like bits of music that I really liked. Like she's listening so intently to everything that you're saying, and she just sticks something in there, and like you're doing a bit of acting, and it's like, oh, she, she really cares. And so it makes you want to st step up your game a little bit in what you're doing. Yeah. That, I mean, that, <clears throat> that's fascinating because it's like, I guess it goes against maybe an impression that, that people might have of like the director actor relationship being quite sort of dictatorial and, uh, and sort of, you know, like this sort of artist wanting to sort of mold a person into their, into, into this ideal shape. Um, I, I also wondered, like, as much as your kind of individual performance is, is great in this movie, it's kind of, it, it kind of works in tandem with that of Claire Rushbrook. And, and I wondered how, how did you, how, not only did you develop your character, but how did you develop this relate? Like how, how was this, this, this kind of, I guess, love affair element of the film developed? It, it, because of the nature of how the, the script happened and my, how I got involved with it and this kind of like weird amorphous I don't know if that's a word or but amorphous sort of process which is kind of set down but not set down when Claire and I sort of met each other in the audition and we were sort of like messing around bits of the script there was this really lovely thing that was going on which was and we, and we, we auditioned that scene where we got the headphones in and we got our backs to each other and in the script, Ali and Ava, at that point in the script, don't know, they don't know each other, they don't know that, you know, the other, they don't know each other very well. And there was this lovely thing that was happening, and you'd have to chat to Claire about this, but my experience of it was that we were sort of simulating what it's like to fall in love you know that sort of moment where you're kind of trying to say all the right things to impress that person so they think that you're super smart or you do something that's kind of like a little bit crazy and out there mm -hmm. so they know that you're you know you're fun and you don't take it you know and and as we were sort of discovering these moments in the film for me we were sort of bedding our own relationship down as two sort of actors in the piece as well and in, in, you know, so it's like and then once we did get to that understanding, when it did sort of settle itself into this sort of, I don't know, this under, it, it was kind of, it worked perfectly for the film as well. You know, there was like this thing of going, um, it's so hard to articulate, but I think it's only because of this thing, this process that she, that Clyde creates, which is, um, 
when you're really sort of getting to know somebody or discover something about someone, you're sort of doing it as it's happening, you know? Um, and she's just smart enough to press record at the right time, I think is, is what's it, you know, she's sort of going, yeah. And I guess my last question is like, um, I, I, you, you, you're a Londoner and you have, you have a kind of London accent. And in the film, you obviously got quite a, a thick Bradford brogue on, and uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, and and um, you know, it's 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 a very convincing one as well. Uh, to be honest, um, I, I did have to check that you weren't actually from Bradford. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> um, had could you talk a little bit about your 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 sort of how you work with accents and. How, how you kind of getting it to getting these accents to a place that you're happy and you know when you're at a point when you you you're like you, you know that you kind of nailed it yeah I don't think you ever know that you nail it because I can still listen back to it and go well there's there's bits that I've done there that are you know there's always sort of room for improvements I never sort of feel like I've, I've fully I fully nailed it but I, my, I suppose my, te my test and my benchmark is just to go, if somebody from that area heard me, would they feel that I'm from there, you know, if I'm just from there and it doesn't matter who it is. And, you know, I had to do a Welsh accent there recently and it was like the same thing. I just wanted somebody from that area in, in Wales just to go, no, I, I believe that, I buy that, you know, and it, that's, that's the sort of, and, th and then I'm, then I'm happy and I've just got this sort of like freedom with it and I can sort of play around with it, but it's something that I have to hang about with for a long time and work on and, um, and then you get to the point where you sort of have to step, just trust that you've done enough work and let it all go because you don't want to start thinking too technically about it and just really sort of being free with it um but um i think i'm all right with accents as long as i've got enough time to prep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much for your time fingers crossed for the uh, the bafta thank you yeah my wife was sort of saying um because um benedict's uh, nominated and it's a, a power of the dog and I was like oh, I don't think I've got a chance of this it's a you know it's probably a shoe in with you know Benedict come back power of the dog she was just like don't underestimate the power of the underdog so ah. like, yeah that was like, okay my wife ladies and gentlemen yeah thank you uh, there you go yeah yeah oh. <laughs> thank you very much Adil that was great yeah, nice, David thank you Thank you to Adil Akhtar for joining us and thank you for David for doing that interview for us too. Hannah, as the Yorkshire woman on the team, I'll come to <laughs> yeah. you first. And maybe what we should do is this is the first, this is the new film from Clio Barnard, who over the last couple of decades has really marked out her own style within the British independent filmmaking world. Could you give us a quick primer of, of what she's what she does and what she's doing here with this film? Yeah, so uh, uh, Clio is a uh, Yorkshire woman. She's from Otley, which is near Leeds, and she's um, this is her. What are we on now? One, two, 
I'm just counting them off on my fingers. Uh, this is her fourth feature film. Uh, so she made her debut with um, The Arbor back in, I want to say, 2010. The listeners are really getting an insight into like my my uh, recall skills here. Um, but yeah, so she made this film, The Arbor, which was very well received. And um, then she went on to make a film called The Selfish Giant. Again, very well received. Um, and she's kind of this chronicle of, I would say, sort of slice of life in the North uh, films. I wasn't actually the biggest fan of her last film, Dark River, which was um, about, it was uh, Ruth Wilson playing this woman who returns to her family farm and kind of has to confront a very dark past um dark dark river is um notable for me because it's uh one of the only films where sean bean dies before the film even starts <laughs> yeah he's kind of he plays like a, a menacing ghost throughout <laughs> the film um but ali and Ava, i was so charmed by so this is again set in the set in the north set in bradford and it's a love story very simply put between these two um middle-aged people who've kind of really been through the ringer a little bit and I just thought it was so um, so sweet and so poignant and just really lovely to see a, a film set in the North which isn't full of kind of misery, which I, I think Cleo is as guilty of that as, uh, as, as many filmmakers. Some of her films are very miserable. Um, but yeah, Ali and Ava is a really sort of joyful tale of um, two people finding each other just at the right moment when they need to and I was very struck by that and I think it's a really great showcase for Adil Akhtar and Claire Rushbrook who are two wonderful actors who I think have always kind of more played supporting roles obviously Claire was in um, Secrets and Lies and has kind of been there um, in a lot of great films she was in spice world um, but um yeah they both kind of I think slide under the radar a little bit so i loved seeing them get so much praise for this film and the deals won a couple of awards i think he's nominated for a bafta i might be wrong cut that back out if she if he's not um but yeah it's just a lovely really great showcase i think for like british filmmaking talent uh, behind and in front of the camera Rogan, what did you make of this? Were you sort of touched by it in a similar way to Hannah? And tell us about these performances as well. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved it. And I, so this is my second Clio Barnard. I saw I saw Dark River as well and I wasn't the biggest fan of it. So I kind of went into this with just a little bit of like, it was London Film Festival and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll go see it. Um, <laughs> and, and I was so uh, pleasantly surprised and just uh, really warm and fuzzy uh, without me it's not saccharine at all um it's an incredibly human film and I think that's what makes you feel so warm and fuzzy and I'm a massive fan of Claire Rushbrook uh for me it was my mad fat diary um ah. but yeah and I was like oh my god it's the mum um <laughs> and she and she's just really wonderful and she feels already so familiar uh, that character there's a great detail with um she has loads of key rings on her keys so she kind of walks around with this like giant like fluff like mass of things um and I was like oh that yeah that reminds me you know it it just felt so incredibly familiar um Adil as well was really brilliant and yeah I can't kind of speak 
higher of it you know there was watching it there were a few moments where I felt because there there's this uh storyline of, of I don't want to give too much away I suppose but uh, where race is a, like a, a major factor especially um with Ava's son and I was like oh god how is she how is this going to be handled am I going to be recoiling constantly are we going to get some awful sort of morality tale and like and this is how we resolve and unite mm -hmm. um and that and that's not and that's not so much the case um and I, and I just think it's a really honest and, and beautiful little film yeah yeah it, it is as you said Hannah it's it, it is a, a, a love story at the heart of it and it's not a story about the misery of living in the north as many films tend to be but there are still all those complexities at the edge of the periphery of the relationships as well so it's not necessarily trying to sugarcoat an existence either but so for that for you for you rogan that stuff was was, was successful in the end i think so yeah i was sort of holding my breath a few times mm. um but i did come away thinking that yeah like this is this is pretty true to life and there isn't really a resolution and thing some things are just really intimate and mm -hmm. there is no grand grand answer and things are wrong but they're complicated um yeah. and we kind of we and we love each other regardless um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i i thought it was it's handled really well and a really interesting look at at yeah the, these these mentalities that do exist and things that do happen i'd, I'd like to to talk about adil akhtar because He's been a figure. I mean, this is what's great about a film like this, where you realise, similar to Claire Rushbrook, a person that you've seen in many things over the years has been great all along and is given the a, a, a opportunity to, to really share centre stage. Um, he, of course, has been on my radar since Four Lions. Also, in he sort of went over to America for a little bit, wasn't he? He was the brother in The Big Sick. And... Um, uh, pops up in a lot of films in the last year. He was in The Nest. He did a voice in the Ardman Netflix thing, Robin Robin. Um, but what is the quality that he's bringing on the screen? Um, could, could we try and put that into words? Hannah, I'll come to you. Um, I think actually something that might unlock something, that certainly unlocks something for me, is I interviewed him last year and he said one of his favourite films when he was trained to be an actor was Daddy Longlegs, the Safdie Brothers film. And I That's guess so he funny. has a sort of shambly, kind of street level kind of charm to him, doesn't he? He d he is a bit of a um, uh, Ronnie Bronstein sort of figure, yeah. If you think about uh, that film, but if they did if they did an English version of Daddy Longlegs, I think he would be perfect for the lead role. I think he's got that kind of and we see it a lot in Ali and I, but that like motor mouth, like mile a minute sort of like talking. Um, and also, I'm realizing now that he was in Enola Holmes and he played Lestrade, and I think Claire Rushbrook was in Enola Holmes as well. So they have actually been in the same film together before so fun fact um and he was also in murder mystery and i'm pretty sure <laughs> this might have been in sorry i'm now just going th going through all the things i've seen him in but i think this might may have been in the interview it might have got cut he's going to be in the sequel uh which is very exciting for me love murder mystery great film um, but yeah he's got this kind of um just this like irrepressible charm i think and it's interesting because i think that um in Ali and Arva, we, we really get to see him play a fully fleshed out character, which I don't think he's always had the chance to do in these kind of smaller roles. Um, but I think he's always been very good at not letting himself get um, typecast. And I think this is something that a lot of um, actors have talked about um, 
being from um he's Pakistani and I I believe it was um Riz Ahmed who gave a really great speech about like the roles you get offered when you are a British actor who is not white and the fact that he was getting you know just asked to play a terrorist over and over again and I think that a deal part maybe part of the reason that he hasn't kind of um ever hit those like big superstar type um heights is because I think he's been very good at picking roles that sort of um defy that sort of typecasting even if it means that he hasn't reached the kind of heights I think he deserves to reach um but I think yeah what's so lovely about Ali and is that you get to see him play this role which is yeah you get that kind of like the lovely him being very personable very um one of the most helpful landlords I've ever seen. It's not in my experience of landlords at all. Um, but then you also see the kind of, um, the deep sort of sadness within him as well. You know, the way that his marriage breakdown has affected him. It's a really well-rounded character. And I think he does both with such ease and it's not necessarily something we've had the chance to see from him before. So I was really thrilled that he finally kind of got this big showcase role as an actor. Mm, absolutely so good to see let's put some scores on Ali and Ava then um Hannah I'll come to you first for this for your three scores um I think it's a three four four for me I yeah so I didn't know much going in and was a bit skeptical just because of how I responded to Dark River but yeah four is an enjoyment and then a four in retrospect I'm excited to watch this one again Mm -hmm. Rogan yeah, I'm the same. I'm a, a 344. I've thought about it quite a lot, actually, just in conversations of like, what's the best film? Well, it's releasing now, but because I saw it last year and I was kind of like, no, what about that? That's a remember that one, guys. Don't forget it. Don't let it slip under your radar. So, yeah, <laughs> a big advocate for this one. Yeah, I think 343 maybe for me, but I'd, I'd certainly go and rewatch this again. Maybe it'll turn into a 344, but definitely as a platform for the two central performers. What a wonderful film. Listeners, that was Ali and Ava rounding out our new release section for this week's podcast. Up next, we're going all the way back to the early 1990s for Batman Returns. Here is some copy about Batman Returns. In the second of the blockbuster Batman films, the criminal genius, the penguin, threatens Gotham City and, helpless, the entire city can only pray that... Batman returns. Ah, see what they did there. Only he can defend the city from total chaos as the Penguin lays twisted waste to a great metropolis. Meanwhile, the Dark Knight may have met his equal in the lethally lithe Catwoman, only he doesn't know if she is feline friend or foe. Um, I will put my cards on the table. This is my favourite Batman film, one of my favourite <laughs> blockbuster comic book type films of all time. That synopsis doesn't really sell it quite well because it's not so much about the total chaos of the penguin it's most of the plot is about the penguin running to be running for local office um but hannah i'll come to you first about this what do you make of batman returns do you have much of a relationship with it oh yeah this was a a staple of my childhood um probably one of the first films i saw danny devito in i was like who's that little weird man (laughs) um it's so funny like when you think about it in terms of like batman lore it does feel like tim burton was in a, a meeting with like you know the the kind of um i don't know batman experts and they were like so there's this guy called the penguin and timber just went stop me there i'm just gonna <laughs> i just ran with it because like his penguin 
is just a man who is also a penguin. <laughs> That's his whole thing. Um, which does lead to some kind of amazing like set pieces in the film um, where and I, my sister and I were debating this yesterday when I was watching it and I was I was saying well they must be animatronic penguins like with the real penguins because some of them are real penguins but and she was like no it's clearly men in penguin suits so so and we're, we're talking specifically about the ending where um the penguin dies and they have a funeral for so it's not funny poor penguin he really does kind of like go through it in this film you know he's abandoned by his parents when he's born because he's hideous and eats a cat i guess um and then yeah it kind of takes to the sewers of Gotham and um comes out of hiding to go up against uh, max shank who is max shrank max shrek it's a reference to um uh the actor that pl- that played uh, track, uh th- th- that was in Nosferatu. Ah, okay. So he's I, he's not an actual like Batman villain. Though, no, he's an original he? villain for for the film. Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know that, and I did wonder watching it because he he's a very odd character, uh, played by Christopher Walken, which I think does add to the great hair stra- as well. strangeness. Great hairdo, um, but kind of makes no sense as a character. I don't really understand why <laughs> why he's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's such a fun film. Uh, it's, uh, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, really like iconic as Catwoman. And it looks like everything about it just looks so fun. It's um, this real kind of, if we're talking about the Batman as kind of a statement by a director that feels like a singular vision. I mean, Batman Returns definitely feels mm-hmm. like a very coherent, incoherent film. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it is just, I think, if the Batman is like an emo, you know, kind of really gumshoe detective type film, then Batman Returns is completely the opposite. It's very like fun and very uh, silly in parts. And I have to say like Michael Keaton, I think is before Pattinson came around, I think that Keaton was the hottest Batman for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I love this because it's the sort of blockbuster that we say never happens anymore, but I don't think it ever happened anyway, where where the first Batman film, which has... It's qualities almost as the tension between Tim Burton and the studio. So they're saying, yeah, Tim Burton, you can have Danny Elfman do the score and stuff, and but we're going to have Prince do the soundtrack and all these tension <laughs> between creative voices. When it came to Batman Returns, they really allowed him to go the whole hog in terms of his own interests, in terms of the production design. The story has this interesting um, quality to it that, sadly, comic book movies don't really go down, where it's this grotesque fairy tale horror um, aspect to it, but also very cartoony in a carnivalesque kind of way as you say it is very ridiculous at times um it really does go there with um the drawing out the visual metaphors of the characters <laughs> to, to the real extremes um to the point where you have the penguin literally being a penguin and Catwoman like licking her latex <laughs> suit as if she's grooming herself um and it still stands up as just a very strange artistic vision to this day um rogan what do you make of this it's quite a, i mean yeah. we could say batshit crazy i suppose yeah i i would say that um do you know it's really funny because i picked up a little trilogy box set or i think four films um ages ago in cex and then a couple of years ago i had really bad flu so i just watched them all on the sofa so i had mentally merged all of uh the burn films so then when i rewatched this i was like oh 
yeah no it makes more sense um (laughs) (laughs) but um I had such a great time it's so fun and funny some great one-liners um I did start writing some of them down and then it just got too many and I was (laughs) like I can't just list them on the podcast um but I, I love it I love a great big film where you can see exactly where all the money's gone that's a that's a real plus for me I just like watching and going oh wow that's like insane they've just built this ridiculous thing and it, it looks gorgeous and the performances everyone just went like full balls to the wall and just gave it they're like yeah like like you said yeah Michelle Pfeiffer licking her, her latex uh, <laughs> gloves like yeah I'm Catwoman um and of course like that's such an iconic performance that she gives and it it to me is still like that's mm-hmm. the performance um she she is catwoman she's the catwoman yeah. for me um hannah as the our own catwoman and she, your cat makes cameos <laughs> on this podcast from time to time what do you make of michelle Pfeiffer's turn that'll be the final word i think on batman returns for today oh yeah no i think she really um she um is just magnetic isn't she i mean incredibly uh, sexy as well but I think the the thing that she does which I really appreciate and I think we don't we Catwoman in more recent films I think has become more of a um, you know she's sexy no matter what but like I like the kind of thing that she's this like plucky secretary before she has this she falls out of a window and her cats resuscitate her um, very odd storyline um which kind of turns her into this like femme fatale character um but it's just i think it speaks to a wider thing about the film that all the performers really embracing the chaos and i kind of enjoy the fact that bruce wayne slash batman is this like very still point of all this kind of mad shit going on in the background and he's so whenever he's up against catwoman she's kind of being all like sexy and like weird and he's just kind of there like oh batman you know um kind of really like um kind of like he has this like unique quality Mm -hmm. to him um, but yeah, I, I love her. I think the performance is iconic for uh, for good reason. Yeah, I, I can understand why in the early 90s, this was a summer movie, 1993, this would would have been a very, and had McDonald's Happy Meal tie-ins and everything lined up. Um, I can understand why that why this was a, a complicated release at the time, but I think has only grown as <laughs> the this, this sub-genre has homogenized in the couple of decades since. It's so great to go back and see something where the production design, the screenwriting, the performances all ha- all really dialing it up to 11. Um, listeners, I mean, we did it with The Godfather last week. This would be an equivalent for me. I'd love to go along on Batman Returns one day, but that's all we have time for. Listeners, let us know what you make of Batman Returns, the Batman, Alien Ava, anything, any Batman movie, the Batman video games. Let us know what you make of those at LDRelies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Next week, we have a red double bill. We have Sean Baker's Red Rocket. We have the new Pixar movie, Turning Red. And since that film has an element of transformation between human and animal in, we're going back to a Disney classic, Emperor's New Groove. Rogan, Hannah, thank you for joining me this week. Listeners, subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love it if you left one for us. That's it from me. We'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production, Little White Lies. 
It's hosted by me, Michael Leader, produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.